Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I'm Amy Zellmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be chatting with Paula Walters about domestic violence and brain injury. This episode is brought to you by the Functional Neurology Center, formerly MFNC, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are leaders in neurorecovery and experienced in treating complex concussion cases with dysautonomia, vertigo, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in the Midwest. They've greatly helped me and many others. You can find them online at thefunctionalneurologycenter.com. Hello, everyone. I am Amy Zellmer, and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Goodman Project, and I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council. And my second book, Embracing the Journey, Moving Forward After Brain Injury, recently received a silver medal in the Midwest Book Awards. You can learn more about the podcast at facesoftbi.com, and be sure to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And also, don't forget to join my Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. Today, my guest is Paula Walters, and Paula is the founder and president of Standing Courageous. In her role, Paula has developed and leads the team that provides education and awareness about domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse. Drawing on her own experience as a survivor of child abuse, domestic violence, and with strangulation and sexual assault, Paula specializes in educating about the psychology of an abuser and victim, the impacts of abuse, and the role individuals have in stopping the cycle of violence and aiding in a victim's recovery. Paula has joined the State of Ohio Attorney General's Homicide Prevention Team in training on domestic violence and non-fatal strangulation. Paula has been in the fire service and EMS since 1999. She became a paramedic in 2003 after attending the Medical College of Ohio, where she received the Clinical Excellence Award. She became an EMS instructor in 2009, and has worked in Ohio, North Carolina, and Louisiana as a paramedic in a variety of EMS and public surface capacities. Paula experienced a traumatic brain injury from being abused that was misdiagnosed for over a decade. She's had a long journey to finally being properly diagnosed. That journey included giving up being a first responder, which she loved so much. She's passionate about using her life experiences to inspire others to triumph over trauma and tragedy. She enjoys painting, poetry, and writing, and is currently working on a book of her life, tentatively to be published late 2019. Residing in Toledo, Ohio, Paula enjoys volunteering as a CASAGAL for abused and neglected children and being a mentor to survivors of abuse. So welcome to the podcast, Paula. So happy to have you here today. Such a treat. 
Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, and I had the pleasure of meeting you a month ago now, maybe a little longer than that. Uh, you were up here working with Dr. Shaw at the Functional Neurology Center. And, you know, you have such an inspiring story. And domestic violence and brain injury is just not talked about enough. And so I'm really excited to have you here and shed some light on this topic. So, Paula, I would love for you just to kind of give us your background, you know, your bio states that you suffered child abuse and then um, domestic violence with strangulation. Um, so what, please share with us what you're comfortable sharing. Well, so I was raised um, in, in, in what most people would look at a normal American family where, you know, I was, my parents were, um, married, and I was in probably what I would say middle to upper class. I went to a private school um, in my younger years, and what people didn't see was, you know, the family that was inside the house. You know, we all wore masks on the outside when we were outside of the house, but on the inside, my dad was, you know, a horrible, a horrible man. And, you know, that was a generational thing, as I've, as I've learned. But um, on top of hitting me frequently in the back of the head and just kicking, like, it, it, he did it for fun. It wasn't even just punishment. It was for fun. And he was very big about women being, um, you know, dressing properly and being thin, in which I was not as a child. So he thought it funny to call me Porky. He rarely, you know, referred to me as Paula. And so he would often take me over to the slaughterhouse and tell me how much I was worth per pound. And so that was normal for me. I grew up with abuse, you know, the hitting, the, the words, just it, it was normal for me. And I didn't know that that's not what other families were like outside, you know, in, inside their homes. And mm-hmm. I and I think that's that. really common in in it the is. the um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, you know, in abusive relationships. There's usually that history of um, yep. parents that were abusive and thinking that was normal. Yeah. Yep. It it is, and because you only know what you know what you know. Yeah. And so yeah. when you're not part of that. You, you know, a lot of people learn their prayers, their family traditions, and all of that stuff, you know, so it, ab- abusive people are no different. They just, they learned different things to carry on in their generations. And so the, the, the hard part about that is it sets, it sets children up for failure when they go into adulthood, because that's what you seek, because that's what's normal. And so when you, when you start dating that, you look for those type of mm-hmm. men and, and that type of, you need that roller coaster. And I was one of those people. It's like if I got a normal person who wasn't riding the, you know, the abusive craziness of the, you know, the roller coaster of abuse and the cycle of it, I was almost instigating. Like I needed that. Like I would start, you know, like verbal fights because I needed that. That was normal to me. And so it took me a long time to get out of it. And, I, and unfortunately, it almost cost me my life. I um, got married right out of high school. Um, and, you know, he, he wasn't physically abusive, but he, you know, I didn't have a life outside of, I didn't have friends. 
it, I, when I got done, when we got divorced um, in 2000, I didn't even know how to write a check. Like he, he just took control over everything financially. Um, I mean, I had nothing outside of the home and taking care of my son. And so like after that, I was dead set that I'm not ever getting myself in that situation again. But then, you know, I started working in a trauma center. I had become a paramedic and I was working in an ER and on the squad. And so along comes this person who was bringing prisoners in and if you're in, there, there's a community between police, fire, EMS, and healthcare. I think it's just the way that we, you know, like relate to each other with what we see. And so this person kept coming in, and he eventually got through the through my walls, and got himself invited out for an ER night out, and um, we started dating, and he, everybody loved him like when things were really crazy in the ER, he would bring in, you know, things, drinks or Sundays or stuff like that kind of to get everybody to love him. And so um, after we dated for a while, I had actually fallen asleep on the way home because I had an hour drive home from the ER. And he suggested that I move in with him. And that's when I got to see, you know, anyone can wear a mask outside of their home. But when you're yeah. actually living with somebody, you really get to see a whole nother side. And I learned, you know, that he was an alcoholic and he was controlling. And it just this crazy cycle began. And he um, was very possessive. And we actually had went to a NASCAR race. And the first time I knew I was in trouble, he had, um, I was kind of bantering back and forth about with a guy that was on the seat in front of me about, you know, another NASCAR driver. And when we left, he, we were down in, in West Virginia, um, or no, I think it was Virginia, but he held me over the side of a mountain and told me if I ever disrespected him like that again, that he would, could scatter my body parts and that nobody would ever know and that he would kill my son. And so any parent that has, you know, that has a child yeah. would protect their, their kid. And yep. at that point, I knew I was in trouble. And I actually messaged a friend then and said, if I don't come home, I'm in a mountain somewhere. And it was just a few months after that, that um, I once again embarrassed him. The ER docs, you know, had, were graduating. They finished their residency and we had all went out and one of them hugged me and I paid a price for that. And so that was the night that he um, held a gun to my head and he strangled me. And I tell people when I speak that um, you never know true evil until you look at somebody who's looking through you like you're not even there and they have their hands around your throat. I knew at that moment I was going to die. And um, that's pretty much the last thing I remember for a little while until, you know, a nosy neighbor saved my life. So I always tell people, like, don't, don't be afraid to be that neighbor because that's the reason why I'm <laughs> right. alive. Yeah. And then, you know, and that's when it just kind of all started, you know, for that, that people think that that's the lowest part. And like, that's just the beginning of it because I went to the ER and, you know, there's just this, this um, stereotype of against domestic violence victims. Yeah. And stuff. Like when I walked in there, one of the ER doctors who I worked with for years looks at me and says, what did you do to make him so mad? Yeah. He's such a good yep. guy, you know? And so 
that was incredibly where I had not frustrating. Had any hospital. It was, and and even worse than that, um, you know, the police came in and, and everybody starts doing this stuff. But it's like that's where my downfall started is because it's like after that, um, you know, I couldn't swallow for the next week. I wasn't able to drink, um, but you know, clear liquids, and that's all I was living on for the next week. And it, it you know, it. I just, I look back and I'm like, how did we, how did we miss the right testing? How did we miss, you know, just the knowledge that we know now? And, and we're still missing it on a lot of domestic violence or child abuse victims because over the next several years, like all of a sudden somebody who has been on no medicine has never really even had an antibiotic. Now all of a sudden has, like problems with her blood pressure, problems with her heart rate. I'm having these immune problems. They're diagnosing me with idiopathic anaphylaxis. I've been admitted into the ICU of where I worked at, and nobody can figure any of this stuff out. And it's like this big, huge change all of a sudden. And even me as an EMS educator couldn't figure it out. And so, you know, for the next decade, literally a decade, um, I had seen like, three neurologists. I think I've seen three cardiologists. I've seen like two allergists. They send me to have neuropsych testing, all of this stuff. And, and they're just like, well, you're too busy. Or, you know, they wanted to put a pacemaker in me because they to help with oh, my wow. heart rate. They did. They wanted to do a bone marrow biopsy because they thought that I had um, systemic mastocytosis. Um, it was just all of this craziness that you know, and, and not once through any of this was there ever a brain scan done. It's like all these other things. I mean, I had EKGs. I had, you know, they did um, CT test, and they did all of these other testing throughout this time. But that's it. And um, it took – so that incident happened in 2006. It took till 2017 in which I rear-ended a car. I think I fell asleep. I'm not even sure really what happened at that point. But, um, and I went to my primary care and I said, like, you need to put me in the stress center. Like there's, there's something wrong. Like noises are bothering me. I don't even know why I rear-ended a car. I can't see very well. Like I'm having problems with my vision, you know, and, and I'm, I said, I can't remember anything. And I just, I felt like I was going crazy. And I told her, I said, I don't know if I'm like having some kind of midlife crisis, if I'm schizophrenic, I'm, you know, I'm having some psychotic break or something, but I'm like, I need you to do something. And she's like, you know, you're an EMS provider that doesn't happen like that. Let's do an MRI. And then that's the first time that they came back and they're like, you know, they had asked me, you know, have you had any traumatic events? And, you know, we talked about the domestic violence and the strangulation. And she was like, I'm pretty sure you have a traumatic brain injury. And it was like, oh, my gosh, you know, this light of all these stuff. And then, she, you know, she started researching a little bit. And she's like, all of this makes sense. And right around that time, I had went to the Strangulation Institute training where I got to um, talk to a doctor that's on their board there. He's a um, forensic doc, and he basically said, like, you have the classic symptoms from strangulation and brain injury. And so it's been a slow journey since then because I, you know, they took me off of work, working a paramedic. Um, so I kind of lost, you know, insurance and it was like a, it was a really long battle. And even that was trying to get doctors to understand like here, 
even though I had that traumatic brain injury, I went to see a neurologist who said, you know, no, it's been too long. You can't possibly have all these symptoms because I slowly started like having problems walking to the point where shortly before I went out to uh, the functional neurology center this year, they were telling me that I had MS and, you know, they want to do a spinal tap and everybody's still saying, you know, it's, it's not that you've got MS or you've got this, or there's something else that like traumatic brain injury can't be causing these symptoms this long afterwards. And so, you know, thank goodness for your community that you have online, because that's how I found the functional neurology center. So like, I can't thank you enough for what you do because people sharing their journeys is how I found them. You know, and I started watching your journey and um, some of you, you know, the people that have post on your, you know, your site and I started watching their Facebook page and I'm starting to see all these stories that he shares on there. And I'm like, you know, hey, this maybe this will work for me. And I'll tell you, before I went out there in like April, Mayish, I was ready to give up on life because somebody who used to be a paramedic and was saving other people's lives and, and you know, and, and responding to other people's emergency, I could barely walk down the steps without falling. And I was constantly sick and driving had become a horrible task. And so I was ready. And I told my family before I went out there, like, if they can't help me out there, I don't want to live like this. And I'll tell you, I went out there and that place changed my life. I, people here who, in, in, a, in our community, who have seen me over the last several years are like, you're a whole different person. I spoke for the attorney general's office um, last week and they had not seen me since November last year. And they were like, what a big difference. And it even opened up their eyes, being able to talk about what happened out there in Minnesota. And so now it's even helping them. They're like, this is a whole nother thing that needs to be talked about because, you know, I only had one truly major incident with, you know, the strangulation and the, and the facial injuries and the head injuries. Most of your abuse victims have been abused multiple times. Yeah. Yeah, repetitive. And so, yeah. So we talk about it, you know, we talk about it in football and we talk about it in, you know, sports injuries and falls and car accidents. But it, this is one of those areas that we really need to talk about because, you know, depending on which statistics you pull and from where you pull them from, you're talking about one, you know, just one out of three or four women and one out of, you know, four to seven men. That's a huge you know, amount of our population that potentially have head injuries. And, um, and that's scary because I'm thinking how many people are out there that are like me that have, you know, or have been diagnosed wrongly with something or they've lost their children or they're staying in the situation because they can't think clearly. So it kind of, it's made me change my whole focus on my nonprofit because, um, you know, I was fortunate to have families that can support me financially and that type of ways to go out there and to be able, you know, with not being able to work like I, you know, have been able to and stuff. So, you know, and a lot of survivors don't have that support. And so, you know, I'm really focused on creating communities that we can engage these people and support them as they go, because I think that this is a way bigger thing than what mm-hmm. any any organization realizes because with domestic violence, it's so siloed. It's like there's child abuse agencies, there's domestic violence agencies, there's brain injury, you know, organizations, 
this is one of those things where we need to all come together because we're putting these people on the stand and trying to convict people, you know, who killers and, you know, potential killers. And we're not, they can't effectively do it when they can't even think straight. I mean, I could barely balance a checkbook before I left, you know, and that's one hit. So I just think that this is a whole new thing that needs to be talked about because Mm -hmm. um, I really worry about how many people are out there that are like me. And and is that part of our suicide problem? Is that part of our, you know, substance abuse problem? Yeah, it's a huge part. And I want to go back to, you know, you were talking about how doctors were like, well, this can't possibly be from traumatic brain injury. You know, you wouldn't still have the symptoms as far out. And, you know, uh, it just, I never had that said to me, but I hear it constantly in my group that their doctors have told them, you know, oh, it's been six months or it's been a year. There's no way this could still be from a brain injury. And, you know, I just, I have to call bullshit where I see it. Like how, you know, it's, it's so frustrating how these doctors, you know, they're, they're actually hurting people by having this, blase fair attitude towards brain injury because if a brain injury isn't addressed and properly treated it's going to linger and continue to get worse I know for me my symptoms got way worse between about six months and 18 months like they just drastically got worse and nobody could explain it nobody did anything just got to give it more time you know and you know with you you were very straightforward and honest that you'd been strangled, right? Where a lot of victims of domestic violence don't mention it. And, you know, I can see where that's even more challenging to dig down and figure out what's going on with a patient, you know? Um, And for you, fortunately, you know, that car accident was a blessing because it got you to the right doctor who finally, you know, deduce that you'd had a traumatic brain injury. Um, And, you know, I I just, I can't stress enough to anybody listening that, you know, you have the right to fire your doctor. You have the right to get a second, third, 10th opinion, you know, and that's why I'm so passionate about what I do and trying to help people find the right help because you know there's people like Dr. Schmo out there there's there's not a ton of functional neurologists I think there's maybe like a hundred and not all of them specialize in brain injury but that's why I'm so passionate about what I do because he helped me he believed me he he knew what to do and you know I did a week intensive I believe you did two weeks or a week and a half I I can't remember yeah two and a half I think yeah Um, Um, I was out there for eight days yeah, you know, so it's just amazing what they can do in such a short amount of time um, with laser focusing on exactly what's going on with your brain. Um, but, you know, just getting this education out there, you know, what you're doing is so important, educating the providers and the EMS responders and um, caseworkers, right? Like how many yep. children are probably in school who will never admit that they have been beaten by a parent, right? And they're struggling right. and they're put in special ed classes. They think they have a, a um, 
oh, what's the word, uh, behavior problem, you know, like they act out or they have a learning disability. Um, But the underlying problem is a brain injury. And, you know, I think um, awareness is growing and football has probably been the biggest outlet to get some awareness out there. I by by no means think the NFL is still doing what they need to do, but at least we've gotten some awareness (laughs) out there, right? Um, and right. you know, people like you who are willing to share their story because domestic violence is really hush, right? Like nobody wants to talk about it. And I get it. You have doctors saying things, well, what did you do to deserve that? You know, <laughs> like, oh, let's blame the victim. Um, you know, a big man can hurt a tiny woman, right? Like, oh, yeah, blame blame the woman. Right. Um, it's frustrating. Yep. Um, but, you know, so you had a unique opportunity to be a part of, um, uh, uh, correct me if I get it wrong, but the Ohio State um, did a research project on domestic violence and brain injury. They did. Um, And we're getting close to short on time, but I do want you to tell us about that survey and what you guys did to gather the information and what you found out. So the Ohio State University and the Ohio Domestic Violence Network went together. And so they just basically went to different places in Ohio for shelters and in places where they can interact with victims. And basically what they learned is that um, 81% of the women who had been abused had suffered a head injury and 83% of them had been strangled. So those are numbers, huge, huge numbers that I'm like, you know, and, and when, and they, you know, they had talked about like the dizziness, the headaches, the different symptoms for the brain injury. But I'm like, that's, those are huge, huge numbers. So even if they're way off and you're looking at 50% and you're talking about the one out of three women, even if the one out of four, that means, you know, that those are huge numbers about people that are, have brain injuries and have been strangled, which is, you know, how I acquired mine. But that's just, I, I'm, I think that this is the first research of its kind, and this is opening up doors to how much we need places, you know, doctors like, you know, Dr. Schmo, who are willing to work with people like me. Outside of just the brain injury, they created environments that I felt safe going to, and, and you know, they equipped me to be able to come home and continue. So that mm-hmm. is a, a, a huge aspect, too, is that environment and that office is welcoming for people like me. And so it's the whole big picture. And when we got numbers like this, we need to make sure that we're opening our eyes and talking about this. Every brain injury organization needs to talk about this. Every brain injury doctor needs to talk about this because we're talking about a huge amount of our children and men and women in America. And, you know, it leads to so many other things. You know, um, I'm not going to say what state it was, but a local state, uh, brain injury association reached out to their local domestic violence shelter and offered to come in and do um, some training for the staff as well as, you know, anyone that wanted to attend it um, about brain injury. And the lead person of the shelter said, Oh, nobody here has a brain injury. What, what do you, why? No, we don't need, we don't need you. And she just was like, okay, well, call me when you 
you know, come to an understanding. Um, and, you know, you just yeah. shared the statistic, 81%, you know, like, and here the shelters don't even know to screen for it, you know, and it's as simple as asking, have you ever been strangled? Have you, you know, have you ever had a blackout moment? Have you had dizziness? Do you have headaches? I mean, it's so easy to ask some of these initial questions. Um, but, you know, that, that's awareness. And that's why you're doing what you're doing to help educate those shelters and those providers. Um, you know, there's, it's just, it's so simple to screen and we need to be doing a better job. Yes, we all need to, you know, take our part and, and, you know, be a part of creating the right environment. And for everybody, I mean, brain injury itself is a huge thing that we need to, everybody needs to talk about. Right. I think that it's mm-hmm. happening way more. But we need to really focus on this because just in general, people don't want to talk about abuse. It's an ugly thing to talk about. Um, if it had not happened to me, I probably wouldn't want to talk about it either because it's just, right. it's just one of those ugly subjects. But, you know, we have to all start somewhere. And for me, I look at you so much and as an inspiration because you sharing your story changed my life. So I'm hoping in the same aspect that me sharing my journey will change someone else's. Yeah. So if we each are willing to do that, yes. think of what yes. we can do for others. Yeah. So thank you for all you do and for the whole community out there. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. And, you know, it doesn't have to be as big as what you and I are doing. It can be as simple as sharing it in a Facebook post or a blog post. Yep. Or, you know, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to muster up all this energy to start an organization or to start a movement, you know, just simply sharing your story and, you know, maybe you even are just educating someone that you encounter and sharing your brain injury story with them. I mean, I am amazed when I share with someone that I just met, don't know the person, and I tell them I've had a brain injury. Oh, you know what? My brother had a brain injury from a motorcycle accident or whatever, right? Like, I'm just amazed how yep. small the world really is when we start opening up and sharing. Well, I tell people and when I speak, that the one person who changed my life drastically was the was this lady who looked at me and said, "I believe you. Tell me more about yeah. it." That's yep. that's as much as it can be. Yeah. So. And that was sort of the first time I saw Jeremy. You know, he was like, "It's your eyes working together," and I was like, "You believe me?" He's like, "Oh, I more than believe you. I can see it. You you know, you can't fake this." So. Um, yeah, just having someone believe you is so cathartic and can start that Mm -hmm. healing process. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. Well, Paula, we are almost out of time. Yes, absolutely. Um, we're almost out of time. And so I just want to ask if you have any, you know, final thoughts for our listeners, any parting words of wisdom for anyone listening. Um, probably what I was getting ready to say about trusting your gut. Um, mm-hmm. I knew, you know, trust, trust your gut, trust your body. Even though I've yes. come back and I've made huge strides, my doctors are still trying to tell me that it's not from brain injury. <laughs> so trust, trust it and, and reach out for it because I'm telling you, you, when you get on the other side of it, it's like a whole new life. Yes. So go for it. Wherever you're going to go get treatment. So yes. that would yeah. be my advice. 
once you are on the other side of it, I, I just remember at about 15 months, I had just resolved that, okay, I'm never going to get better. So I just have to learn how to deal with this. And then after working with Dr. Schmo, I, you know, it was like, oh my God, I have my life back. Um, yeah. So don't ever give up hope. There is always hope, no matter how you were a decade out, you were 10 years out, you know, there, there's, yeah. I, I have seen miraculous things in that office. I have seen people come in that can't walk without a walker. They can't go up and down steps. And by the end of the week, they don't have their walker and they're going up and down steps. And it's just absolutely amazing. Um, you know, when you put your trust into the right professionals. So thank you so much, Paula, for being here. And, you know, thank you for all you're doing and sharing your story. I know it's not easy to open up and, you know, you, you open yourself up to criticism in the process and, you know, just don't ever be afraid to keep shining your light. So thank you for all you're doing. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode and that Paula really helps shed some light on domestic violence and brain injury. Um, Just a reminder, you can catch all of our previous podcasts at facesoftbi.com. And also remember to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer and join Amy's TBI tribe on Facebook to connect with other survivors and caregivers. And a big thank you again to the Functional Neurology Center, the concussion doctors you can trust in the Midwest. Find them online at thefunctionalneurologycenter.com. Thank you all for listening and thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone, and I will see you all next time.